Morning, everybody. Good. I uh, want to start out this morning just asking you a question. I'm going to answer it first, so you'll see where I'm going to go with this. But I want to ask you what your favorite Bible verse is. Uh, mine is John 15, 13. And uh, I'm going to quote it, but you don't have to quote yours. Mine says, greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And you're my friends if you do whatever I command you. And that was Jesus' words. My verse where I came to know Jesus Christ, and I read that and understood he died for me. So just say the reference, and um, you don't have to give, just say it out. What, what chapter and verse, or maybe a whole chapter, what is your favorite verse in the Bible? So go for it. Wait. <laughs> okay, not all at one time. Okay, <laughs> yours. 623. I heard one over there. Okay, good. Amen. Amen. Who else? 27. Psalm 27. Okay. Okay, good. I heard another one before. Okay, 15.10. Okay, good. Another one? Romans 12.10. Amen. Yeah, Philippians 1.3, right? Yeah. Yeah, good. We, Joshua 1.9. Okay, good. Be strong and courageous. We, uh, in my life, there are verses that have meant a lot to me, uh, turning points in my life or occasions. And again, the pinnacle is John fifteen thirteen for me. But all of us have a verse and that, we could, that we could throw out and say, hey, that was the verse that helped me during this time or this place. And if the prophet Jonah had a favorite verse, I think it would be Jonah chapter 3, verse 1. And uh, you'll see why here. Can you turn to the book of Jonah? I'm going to continue this part two of Jonah. And to find Jonah, it is kind of challenging sometimes. It's right there by Obadiah and the minor prophets. Keep going that direction and you'll find it. Okay, I'll give you a moment to find Jonah. Chapter 3. And this is what I believe would be Jonah's favorite verse. Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time, Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given you. I'm here to tell you today that our God is the God of second chances. God gives us another opportunity. In fact, I'm going to show you how God gave Jonah a second chance. Right here, it was a, recommi- a recommission. He had a commission in chapter 1, verse 1. But he has a recommission here in chapter 3, verse 1. And our God is in the business of giving people second chances. Jonah's prime example here. Nineveh is also an example of, of God giving people a second chance, another chance. And then... I want to draw that to you today, that God will give you a second chance if you'll call out to him. So that's kind of the framework where we're going to go. We're going to look at Jonah and his second chance, Nineveh and their second chance, and you and your second chance of where you're at here today. Pretty simple, straightforward. Any story in the Bible that we have, and I believe this is a story of an actual historic event that happened, uh, for many reasons. This is not an allegory, as some would say. They treat it as an allegory. This is a story about Israel, and Israel wouldn't go to the nations and tell them the good news. 
uh, of, of the gospel and of Jesus, and they wouldn't go do, they would not take the faith to all peoples, and, and so some people believe this to not be a literal story. Uh, I, I beg to differ, I believe it's literal, it really happened. Some would say it's a parable, that it's got a, a, that's a parable like Jesus taught, a story with a heavenly meaning, earthly story. But these stories in the Bible, people stumble at the miracles, they stumble at the extraordinary, but our God is capable of doing anything. I read a quote by Williams Jennings Bryan, who uh, is an American uh, philosopher, American, actually from southern Illinois, uh, and he was like a statesman that would, during the debates of the, the Scopes monkey trials and all that, and he made a statement about this. He said, well, if Jonah, uh, if you don't believe, I, I believe that God did this, and, and, if, and if God said that Jonah ate the well, I would have believed it too, so it could have gone either way, and and, you know, when I use the word whale, I'm going to be real specific with you here and get into the Hebrew and to the Greek because it really doesn't tell us a whale. It says it's a great fish. And, in fact, in the Greek language, when Jesus was speaking about this incident, he used the same word for a great fish or a sea monster, something that was really large in the ocean that ate this. And so we, we kind of have accepted it to be a whale because it more likely could have been a whale. And, and then, you know, the, the idea of that, again, some people stumble at that. But please, that's not the point of the story, the whale or the great fish. The point of the story is that God loves people and God loves all people and God is going to pour out his wrath on those who reject him and do not receive him and we have a message of hope to bring to the nations. And God has called every one of us to be on mission with him. And he's given us a mission to go. If you look at John 1, um, 3, 1, and it says here, Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. I'm repeating this, but I want you to hear it. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given to you. Keep your finger there and go back to Jonah chapter 1 and listen to this. His same words, verbatim, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. And then he says, this is where the differentiation is. Announce my judgment against it because I have seen how wicked its people are. In chapter 3, it says, deliver the message I have given to you. As a little aside there, God doesn't always tell us everything up front. He didn't know what the message, I'm going to give this to you, future tense. It's going to come your way when you get there. So you start moving and you go the next step with God and go the next step with him. Jonah was at a place where he was ready to get that next step from God. <laughs> but it didn't, it didn't come easily for him. In fact, in chapter 1, we talked about where he paid the fare and he wanted to go the different direction. And if you pay the fare, it's going to cost you a lot. And it cost Jonah a lot. Jonah was thrown over the boat, swallowed by the great fish, in there for three days and three nights, and then spit up and thrown on the, on the beach. Wow. <laughs> Can you imagine? I'm just thinking about the storm that was going on, and because a couple of weeks ago, I woke up about three in the morning and had vertigo. And I've had one other time before, just a really bad dizziness, but I can't imagine what that would uh, be like for Jonah 
just being on a ship, if you've ever had that kind of experience, but to then be in the belly of a fish and knowing what is going on here. And in, in the belly, in chapter 2, as we review, he cried out and he prayed and he, and he got right with God. He called out to God and then he was spit back out into the well, uh, out, of the, out, of, out into the, the seashore. And he got up and scientists would tell us that because of the gastric juices inside of the great fish, that he would have been bleached. All of his hair would have gone out. He would have been bald as a cue ball. He was bald and he had no hair and he would have been white as could be. And it's interesting because of this great city, Nineveh, that we read later has 120,000 in population. It's a big metroplex of, of a city. In fact, it took three days for him to preach in that city, the, the length and the breadth of it. And archaeologists have proven that. They have found the city remains. And so, again, this historically happened, I believe. And as he got out, in fact, just a little aside, in my research as I was reading, there's been two accounts of people being swallowed by fish. There's one in England, uh, in the English Channel, where this guy was, they were, they were trying to get this, this shark, and they got it, and, and the guy fell overboard, got swallowed up, and he was in there for 48 hours. They, they, they presumed he was lost. They caught that, that great fish. They caught that shark. They opened him up, and inside was that guy. He was experiencing shock. He was unconscious. They got him to the doctor, and he, and he came out all right and uh, survived. So it is possible. It is like Mythbusters. It is plausible that it could have happened. But because God said it, I believe it, and he gave us this word because he's revealing to us his passion, his heart, and his love for people who are without him, who need him. And God gave Jonah a second chance, a second chance to Jonah. There's a lot of professions where you don't get a second chance. If you mess up in the military, court-martial, there's no chance. Dishonorable, just discharge. That's your recourse. You mess up in a financial job and you embezzle money and take things away, you're not keeping your job. There's, you could go on and on with lots of professions, lots of places where you would not get a second chance. But aren't you glad here today that we serve a God who gives us a second chance? And I think Moses could stand up today and say, hey, Jonah 3.1 is a favorite verse of mine because God gave me a second chance. He murdered an Egyptian and buried him in the sand, but he left the toe sticking up, and so they found him, and so he was found out, and he had to pay the fare, and he spent 40 years on the backside of the wilderness and not fulfilling the purpose that God had for him, yet things were delayed because of his disobedience. And David, King David, who had a heart after God, looked at Bathsheba from his, from his wall. He was not doing what he should have been doing, uh, fighting the battles as kings were to do at that time. And he was distracted, and he, and he saw a woman that he wanted and lust after her, and he took her to himself, and he, and he had sex with her, and he had a, a baby. There was a baby, and then he plotted and schemed to have Uriah, her husband, killed. And, and so David, David was given a second chance after all of that. But he paid the fare. The sword did not go out of his house. Absalom and his kids and everything. It was like a horrible soap opera from then on in his life. But David found forgiveness and grace in Psalm 51. And I think he could have expressed very truly here, God is the God of second chances. And I've seen that. 
Or fast forward to the New Testament. I think of Peter who denied Jesus three times. Who cursed and sweared and said, I don't even know Jesus. And here, Jesus restores him and said, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Three times. Feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. And then I think of one that's near and dear to my heart is John Mark. In the book of Acts, we see Paul and Barnabas uh, preaching the gospel and going, starting churches everywhere and, and going, going to the next city and the next city and sharing the gospel, making disciples and, and gathering people together and s- establishing a church and going to the next place. And we read in chapter 15 that there was a sharp division between Paul and Barnabas because Barnabas wanted to bring John Mark with him, but Paul did not want to take him because he had left the mission trip one of the earlier mission trips, he bailed out, but yet Barnabas believed in him and said, I believe he needs a second chance. I'm thankful for the Barnabases in my life. The reason that's a special story to me is because back in 1982, I was called to go to Mexico. And I served in Mexico through the Foreign Mission Board, which is now the International Mission Board of Southern Baptists. And through the International Mission Board, uh, through that experience, I was a journeyman missionary to go, I was supposed to go two years to Mexico, and I worked on my Spanish uh, my last year of, of college. I had like six tutors that were helping me, and, and, I was, and, I, and I'd been there twice on short-term mission trips and had, had a heart for, for the Hispanic people, for the Mexican people, and, and had, going to the same place that I'd been and done the volunteer work, working with the same missionary that I'd worked with, and, and being in those same cities. But when I got there, something wasn't right. And I couldn't explain it. I couldn't, I couldn't define it. It was hard to put into words. But I knew I wasn't where I needed to be. And I had a very understanding missionary. His name was Van Gladden. And Van prayed with me and Van encouraged me. And he said, you've got to obey God. And, and, I'm, and I, I came back home. And I know part of it was just immaturity on my part. Part of it was dealing with the, maybe the culture shock. But another part of it was I knew I wasn't where I needed to be. And it wasn't that I had prayed, hadn't prayed about it and hadn't really sought the Lord. But I, for me, that was my John Mark experience. And when I came back, I remember a person at the board who was, not, who was more like Paul to me. He told me, you'll, you'll be done. You'll never be a missionary again. You, you won't be able to serve. And he gave me some pretty harsh words. And I, I wasn't, that, that really, it hurt. It hurt and it caused me great grief. And then I remember a pastor from Waco, Texas, who, who I met, and I was just really hurting and really agonizing because when I got back, my grandpa died. But here's the good part of this story. My grandpa gave his life to Jesus two weeks before he died. And my grandpa was an alcoholic. My grandpa was a mean man. My grandpa uh, needed Jesus desperately, and, and I'm so thankful that he gave his life to Jesus there in the hospital in that thief on the cross moment for him. And I moved in with my grandma and stayed with her. And I saw God, Romans 8, 28, working it all out. But at the time, I remember the pastor from Waco. He told me, he said, Bob, you bailed out. You parachuted out of the plane, so to speak. And he used that word picture. And when he said that, it caused me to, but he said, but God's not done with you. And in so many words, he said, God will give you a second chance. And from there, I went off and then went to seminary and and got established in that, and, then, and now I've served with the North American Mission Board 
as, as a home missionary and have done that for 21 years and I'm very grateful to have that opportunity. But I can relate to John Mark. I know the, the shame, the embarrassment, the, because the thing with John Mark, what I love about this story is that God gave him a second chance because when you hold in your Bible and you read the Gospel of Mark, Mark is the guy who authored that book as he listened to Peter tell him the stories and he wrote it down. Paul himself, who was harsh on him and didn't want to give him a second chance, who didn't think he could go on the trip with him, Paul himself in 2 Timothy said, bring John Mark with you because he is profitable for me in the ministry. He saw. And aren't you glad here today that God is the God of second chances? And I'm so thankful that he gave Jonah that second chance. But Jonah... He was a reluctant prophet. He was a prodigal prophet. He was in, in kind of a, a place where he had to go. There was no choice at this point. He knew that God was going to bring, bring the pressure to bear. And in verse 3 it says, This time Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh, a city so large that it took three days to see it all. And on the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, Forty days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. Eight-word message. Five words in the Hebrew. <laughs> he had a message that God gave him. But listen to this message. He came there and said, in 40 days, this is going to be wiped out. In fact, the same Hebrew word for the wiping out of Sodom and Gomorrah, do you know that story? When God wiped out Sodom and Gomorrah with hell and firestorm, brimstone hell from heaven, God saw the wickedness, he saw the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah, and he said, I'm done with it, I'm wiping them out. And he did, but he saw Lot, and he saw his family, and he delivered them and brought them out. It's the same word right here, overthrow. And they would have known that. They, these people would have known about what had happened back then. There, they would have, there would have been a grapevine. And these people, historians tell us, there was like a big eclipse uh, that had happened uh, a full solar eclipse that had happened. And these people were very superstitious and worshipped their idols. And here, this, this man comes who's bleached out and he walks up. You, you wonder how in the world he got an audience? I think he was the only attention he would have got from being bleached out and all white as could be. And then he had this message and the people heard it. And not only they heard it because this was like a fishing port area, and the idea, they worshiped the god of Dagon. They called the, it was like a fish god, half god and half fish. And so when they heard about this guy coming out of a fish and walking here and preaching to them, don't you think it got their attention? <laughs> it did. And that's why the response was so incredible. Even though this message was not your polished, slick message, it wasn't your message which, which, which we hear many today, how to have your best life, you know, anything like that. It was a very straightforward, you need to repent because this place is going to be destroyed if you don't. And no matter words. Billy Graham, one of my heroes of the faith, Billy Graham made the statement about Sodom and Gomorrah. He said, if God doesn't do something with the United States of America, if judgment doesn't come, he's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. Because when you look at the actions that were going on, and Gene described really vividly last week about the violence and how they were a, a ruthless kind of people, and, 
And here we live in a land just not very much unlike the days of Noah, where people are, are violent, and violence is what we see every day. And, and a, a shooting in a school or a grocery store or, or, or someplace like that is just common news anymore for us. Lord, have mercy. Or when abortion is, is, is happening and there's millions of babies that have been aborted. Or we can go on with atrocities in war and all the violence and things that we see. Judgment is looming. And it's except for the mercies and the grace of God that we're not, that we're not destroyed. In fact, Mark, would you throw the verse up there from Second Peter? Thinking of God being the hero of this story. God reaches out with love and mercy and grace. And he says, he's not slow about his promise. And this is in the context of the second coming and the earth being destroyed. He says, no, he is being patient for your sake. And he says he does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. God desires everyone to repent. But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. In other places, as a thief in the night. Judgment is coming. And I'm not just this old guy with gray hair and a, and a sandwich sign saying, the end is near, the end is near. But I am saying it. I am an old guy, and I guess I am that guy. The end is near. But God is not willing that any should perish. And when we think of our great city of St. Louis, it'd probably take you three days to walk all around St. Louis, or Chicago, or I could go on, L.A., New York. I had to have the privilege over the last 21 years of flying into all our major cities and just looking, at, whether you do it at night and you see all the lights of the people and the homes or you see all the houses after house after house. That ought to cause us all when we think about just the sheer population of numbers of people. How many people are going to die tonight without Jesus? How many people, if Jesus came back and the end was happening, would not be with him, would be in a place called hell, would be eternally separated? That is the message. We cannot, you know, my dad, my dad taught me a lot about cars, and, and I'm, I'm no mechanic by any means, but definitely not with the cars now. But I know one thing about batteries. You know, I, I'm so embarrassed one time. I called my dad to help me. I had a 66 Mustang, and my car wouldn't start. And dad comes out and looks at it, and takes the battery cables and cleans them off a little bit and starts right back up. I said, I'm sorry, Dad. I just, you know. But I think of those battery cables. You have a positive and you have a negative terminal. There's two terminals on there, and they hook up. They both have to be connected in order for power to flow. And when you're preaching the message of the gospel, you have to give the bad news. But there's also, that's negative. But you also have to be, give the positive news. And the good news is that Jesus Christ died for you. He rose again. He was buried. And he, and he, and he rose again. And he's alive. And, he, and because of what he did, you can have a new life. When John the Baptist came on the scene preaching, what did he preach? Repent and believe. For the kingdom of God is near. And those people repented and they said, what should we do? And they got baptized and then their lifestyle changed. Or like the jailer in the story of the Philippian church plant in the book of Acts. He saw the earthquake. He heard the, he'd heard the guys singing in jail, Paul and Silas. He, the earthquake shook the place. And he has a soldier. He was ready to take his life. 
and end it right there on the spot. And he said, this is what Paul and Silas said, do yourself no harm, for we're here. We have a message of hope. And he got saved because, you know what he asked? He said, what must I do to be saved? And gave him the gospel message right there, the hope of the gospel. And folks, we are bearers of hope. We're bearers of freedom. We're bearers of new life. We are bearers of the image of God. Jonah, I don't think, did it with the best of attitude. I think Jonah was in a, was in a funk. I think Jonah wasn't, didn't have the right attitude as he preached this message. But it wasn't, it wasn't Jonah that did it. It was God that did it. And so as we think in the passage, back into the passage again, I want to point out something to you that's, that I don't have time to really unpack a whole lot, but I'm going to address it. And then verse 6, it says, When the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne, took off his royal robes. This would be like the president himself, repenting and getting baptized and following the Lord Jesus. And, then he, and, the, and he said, The king and his nobles sent the decree throughout the whole city. No, no one, not even the animals from your herds and flocks may eat or drink anything. People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning, and everyone must pray earnestly to God. They must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. Who can tell? Perhaps even yet God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. And when God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. I'm reading to you from the New Living Translation. If you have the NIV, I think it says repented or relented that God did. I want to tell you, God is immutable, which is a theological term, which means that God does not change. Malachi says, I am the Lord your God, I change not. I don't change. That's, that's given. We read in James, where God, there is no shadow of turning with him. He doesn't change. God is not willy-nilly. God is not out of control. He doesn't not, not know what the future is going to hold. He, doesn't, he, isn't, he is not just wondering, oh, I guess that might happen here. If I do this and this and this. No, God sees the means and he sees the ends. He knows the means. And the means here was human repentance and, for, and, and asking, asking, crying out to God. And the end he knew was going to happen, that they were going to turn to him. So I don't have a problem with God saying, okay, I was going to destroy them, but now I'm not. I'm going to hold back. And I don't have a problem with saying God knows everything and he's in charge. He is large and in charge. And that's understanding of the greatness of God is that the two have to be together and they may seem contradictory, but you know what? You're not God. He is. We're finite and he's infinite. We can't understand everything, but we understand that it's a mystery in how God does things. But these people turn to him and he uses us as his instruments to proclaim the message of the gospel. And there is the hope of the gospel for people to hear and believe. But I'd give you that to just kind of chew on a little bit and think about. God was ready to destroy these people. But because of their repentance, he held back and he gave grace. And God knew he was going to do that. That was all part of his plan. But at the same time, he shows us how that, that we're a part of that as well. He lets us be a part of what he's doing. It, it, it blows my mind, you know, <laughs> think of that in those terms. But God did do this, and I believe that he is sovereign. In fact, R.C. Sproul says this, A God who is all love, all grace, all mercy, 
no sovereignty, no justice, no holiness, and no wrath is an idol. And think about that. It's back to the battery cables. You've got to have both. It's the balance between the two. Jesus is fully God. Jesus is fully man. It's a mystery. Don't fully understand that one either. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, God, three in one. Don't understand that one either, but I accept it and believe it. God gave us his word, and it's true, and you can take it to the bank, and you can count on it. He will hold on to you and take care of you through whatever you're going through. He gave Jonah a second chance. He gave Nineveh a second chance. And he will give you a second chance if you call out to him. Now this is my little bonus for you today. The rest of the story, as the radio commentator Paul Harvey used to say, was these people repented, they believed, and God spared them in his mercy. You think Jonah would have been happy? (laughs) Was he? No. He was angry. He was resentful. He was bitter. In fact, we read the passage where God had provided for him a plant to give him shade. He went up where he could see the city and he was waiting. Maybe they'll be destroyed, you know. And God created a plant. A plant grew right up. It's not defined what plant it is. It might be a gourd. It might be, it was a plant that provided shade. It was, could have been a castor oil plant, scholars say. But he had shade, and he was happy about that. But then God sent a worm to eat that plant, and the shade went away. It just totally ate it right there. And Jonah got mad. He got mad about the plant. He, He was upset about the plant. And here's what God said to him. He says, But God also arranged a worm in verse 7. The next morning of the dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant so that it withered away. And as the sun grew hot, God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. The sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and wished to die. Death is certainly better than living like this, he exclaimed. Then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Yes, Jonah retorted, even angry enough to die. What a sad state to be in. He's like the elder son in the prodigal son story. He's the one that, hey, I'm, I'm self-righteous. You see the hypocrisy in Jonah? He is, he is, he is being, God has given him a, a word here. And that word is, you better quit your pouting. And you have no right to be angry. God asks the question and we give the answer. Is it right for you to be angry? You might be sitting here today, and you might be really honked off at God. You might be mad at God about something in your life, something that's happened in the past. Is it right for you to be angry with God? You can be angry with Him, and He wants you to express your your feelings to Him. But to stay angry at God and to realize that, hey, God has the answer. God sees things that you don't know. I love the story of Job, how that there was a conversation going in heaven that Job was not privy to the whole time while he was suffering and going through a lot of bad stuff. You can read that. But he was angry, and he, and, but he didn't curse God, and he didn't blame God, but he really struggled with it. And all of us deal with that, that same stuff, the things that happen in our life. And I think a real key for us to be really used by God is for us to be emotionally stable and emotionally healthy. And you think about things like the emotion of hurt. 
You've been hurt, haven't you? All of us have been hurt. And you think about people that have hurt you in situations. And it can lead to an impairment. And that impairment could be resentfulness. If you get hurt, the natural impairment is to be resentful. But if you let the Lord deal with that hurt in your life, then that's going to turn to healing and courage. you got a choice. Resentfulness or healing and courage when you get hurt. Or when you're sad. And Jonah here was sad, obviously. The sadness can turn into self-pity. And it can turn into to, just inwardly focused in yourself. But it can also turn into acceptance. In fact, Kevin Youngblood, uh, an author who wrote a book called Scandalous Mercy about Jonah, he says the first two chapters were about resistance to acceptance. The second two chapters are about acceptance to resentment. And that's where Jonah's at right now. He's in resentment. And that's what happens when you, when you resent, you get hurt and you resent and you, don't, you're not, you lose your courage. Anger is another one. It's an, it's an emotion that we all go through. But anger can lead to pride. And anger can also, if it's internalized and not expressed, can lead to depression. To we internally focus everything in. But if it's done in the way that you let God deal with your emotions, this anger can turn into a passion. You can be angry about righteous things. You can be angry about injustice and then do something about it. Our emotions, God cares about our emotions. And, um, and so I, I just want you to hear that because all of us are emotional creatures. God created us and God has emotions. And God expresses emotions. But he always does it in a healthy fashion. And so I pray that if you're dealing with some emotional things right here, that you would listen to God's word, listen to God, and listen to who he is, and be in touch with your emotions in relation to, to the word of God and who God is. And let him do a work in your life. And let, and let God ask you some questions. Is it right to be angry? God asked a question to Adam and Eve in the garden. He said, where are you? That's a question God may be asking you today. Where are you spiritually? Where are you? Or like he asked Job. He said, he said to Job, he says, were you here when I created everything? Do you know how the, the animals do? And he went through a whole two chapters of things. God was preparing Jonah. And I always wonder what may have happened after this story with Jonah. Did he go on and preach more? We read about Nahum, and Nahum, another prophet, one of his contemporaries, Nahum preached, and 150 years later, Nineveh was destroyed because this time they didn't repent. So we can't just kind of assume that we're always going to have a second chance. God gives us a second chance. He gives us a third chance. He gives us a fourth chance. He's not willing that any should perish. But when we think about Jesus, he said something when he was talking to the Pharisees. And it's up here on the screen when, uh, when you see it in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 12. Jesus was talking to the Pharisees. And listen to what he says to them. He says to the Pharisees, it's like he compared it to the three days of, like the days of Jonah. For as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. And then the people of Nineveh will stand up against this generation on Judgment Day and condemn it, for they repented of their sins at the preaching of Jonah. Now someone greater than Jonah is here, but you refuse to repent. 
Jesus said, Nineveh is an example of who you are. You're refusing to repent. And it's an example as three days in the belly of the, of the great fish represented being three days in the, in the earth for Jesus. It also, the city of Nineveh, represented a people that would not repent and turn to, to Jesus, not hear his word. And I pray that's not you. I pray you won't be hard-hearted like Jonah. I pray you won't be bitter and resentful and angry at God. Because here's what God, God's comeback to Jonah was this in verse 10. He said, Then the Lord said, You feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly and died quickly. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness. Uh, in other translations, it said people that don't know their right hand from their left hand. They're lost. Not to mention all the animals. <laughs> it's almost like God kind of throwing a little humor in there. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? May our hearts break for the things that break the heart of God. Do we feel sorry for this little thing like a plant or whatever your plant may be, and yet you don't even feel bad about all the people who are dying without Jesus, who are living a hopeless life? May God renew our burden for lostness here today. May God give us a Jonah heart when it comes to, to doing what God's told us to say, but not like Jonah did in terms of his actions of running or bad attitude. But let us have the right attitude like Jesus had and, and realize that there's one greater than Jonah here. It's Jesus, and he's here with us here today. I mentioned Billy Graham earlier. Billy Graham was in a town where he was doing a crusade and preaching the gospel. And he was looking for the post office in the town. And he couldn't find the post office. He was just couldn't find it. It was in the town. And he asked this little boy, do you know where the post office is? And the little boy, and, 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 the little, and, and he goes, and I, he introduced himself first. And he said, I'm here, I'm here today. Uh, uh, now, he didn't introduce himself. I'm sorry. He, he just asked him where the post office was. And then the little boy gave him directions. And then Billy Graham started to walk away, he recounts. And then he turned around, realizing he should have invited this little boy to the service that he was going to be preaching at that night. And so he turned around and he invited the little boy to the service. And he said, I, I'm here to tell people about how to get to heaven and how to, how to have life in Christ. And, and the little boy scratched his head and said, well, if you can't even find the post office, I don't think you're going to know your way to heaven. You know? <laughs> and so Billy Graham had a message, and it's the same message we have. And we stumble. I mean, sometimes we, we're not sure. What if somebody asks you today, how can I be saved? How can I have a relationship to Jesus? How can I be born again? Would you be able to sit down and walk them through the gospel? You know, it is. A, it's simple. It's straightforward. A child can understand it. It doesn't have to be a lot of words like we see here. But it needs to be a heart that gets to the, the message of the gospel. Romans ten thirteen says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What does whosoever mean? Anybody. You see in this story here, a great wind did what God wanted it to do. A great fish did what God wanted it to do. A plant did what God wanted it to do. A worm, a worm did what God wanted it to do. 
And another wind came and did what God wanted it to do. So every, everything in this story did what God wanted them to do, except for Jonah. In fact, let's take it to people. The sailors, they were all sorry for their sin, and they turned to God, and they feared God when they threw him off the, the boat. And the king and the people of Nineveh, they believed and turned to God and did what God wanted them to do. But Jonah reluctantly did preach the message. But did he fully do? No. He missed the joy and the blessing of being obedient to God and following him and doing what God says. So get your emotions right. Get your heart right. Know that God gives second chances. He gives second chances to all of us. We just need to reach out and receive it. Let's stand together and let's uh, pray. And then I want to invite you, if you haven't given your life to Jesus today, to come right up here and let Pastor Gene know or pull him aside after the service and talk with him, whichever you're comfortable with. But if you're, there's, there's an urgency here today, and so please don't, don't hesitate if God's calling you to call out for salvation. Do that today. We're going to sing this song, so let this song be a time to, to search your heart. Father, I pray that you'll move in a mighty way here. Keep us moving forward for you. Help us obey you. Help us not have to learn the hard way like Jonah. And help us, Lord, to have our hearts right, our emotions right before you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.